So today, we are going to be in Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Been working our way through a series of psalms uh, through this summer. We have a couple more. But Psalm 91 is, I think, one of the ones I was looking forward to the most uh, as we were putting this sermon series together. It's, it's a psalm that I go to regularly. You know, if uh, throughout the day and I just need, like, I just need a psalm or I need an encouragement or I just need something, I often find myself in this psalm. And there's a few reasons for that. It just speaks to me on so many different levels. And we'll talk about those here in a minute. But really, what's kind of cool about this psalm is it, it's, uh, it just puts the thesis statement right up front. Right? You make no mistake, you start the psalm and you, you know what it's about. And then he kind of works its way through and then he concludes it at the end. But if you, if you have your Bibles, you follow along or it's on the screen as well. But it says this at the beginning. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Right? Just, just sit with that. Just, just look at those words. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. You've got these ideas of dwelling and resting. You have this picture of the shelter or a shadow. And you've got these words, the Most High and the Almighty. It's making a point for us. As followers of God, we need to sit and dwell with the Lord. Sit with the Almighty. Sit with the Most High. Learn how to take our protection and, and rest under Him. To find a shelter and, and shade under His care. I don't know about you, but I, I find myself running uh, too fast, too long, too much, and I don't always know how to sit and rest. That's something I'm still working on. Uh, physically, but spiritually. I think it's easy for most Christians. Like, we know what to do. We know how to pray. We know how to serve. We know how to care for the poor, you know, or things like that. I don't know if we're that equipped on just sitting and resting and dwelling. But when we see this psalm, it's just clear that the man, the woman of God, if we are going to grow as disciples, we got to understand how we rest, how we dwell and sit and trust him with our lives. There's also this, this idea of protection, of, of, of coming under one who can protect us. Because sometimes, so often, I feel small. I feel weak, insignificant. I lack courage. I always feel like my enemy, whatever that is or whoever it is, that they're strong and they're courageous and, and they're powerful. But I come to a psalm like this and I'm reminded it's not my enemy that I need to be concerned with. It's the strength of the one who's protecting me that I need to be reminded of. And so all these things come to mind just in that first verse as I sit there. But there's a couple experiential things as well that bring this psalm uh, close to my heart. Uh, a few years ago, uh, I had a, uh, an airman uh, in the Air Force. I'm a chaplain with the Air Force, and he was uh, going through some hard times, and uh, it was so hard that he, he attempted to take his life. Uh, he was found, and he was taken to the hospital, and I went to visit him, went to visit him in the hospital. And, 
it was, uh, um, I remember walking into his room and maybe the patient before him or somebody before him had taken a Sharpie and just went to the wall. But instead of graffiti or things like that, they wrote Psalm 91. And then around this, they, were, they drew some images that came from this psalm. And I remember it like, just kind of being um, taken back by that. Usually, they don't allow those things. Usually, if you do that, you get in trouble and they paint over it, but they had left it up. And so my friend, who was struggling, uh, this is his bed that's over, over on top of him. He obviously, he requests a Bible. He's got to, I got to see what this Psalm 91 is all about. And when I went to visit him, he just, he just stopped me and said, have you ever read Psalm 91? He's like, I got to read it to you. And, you know, right there, you know, he opens his Bible, we read the psalm, and we pray through it. And he's just telling me, he's like, this is what I've been looking for. This is how I've, I've been lost, and this is, this is what I've needed to hear my whole life. He took such joy and comfort in this psalm. So we read these words together. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You can kind of see as you put yourself in his shoes why this, this, these words, this psalm, would be so powerful. To know that he's seen and he's protected. He's under the care of his heavenly father. But this has also been a go-to psalm when I'm feeling uh, kind of like spiritually oppressed. Right? When, I, when the spiritual warfare, when I feel is just raging around me. When I feel like I'm kind of in the crosshairs of Satan's uh, weapons. I come back to this psalm as well reminded that I'm under his protection. What can Satan do to me? He can try. He can launch his attacks, but really I'm under God's care. And so I pick up in verse 5. He says, You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Look at those words. Those are like, those are like just those words probably the devil loves. The fear, the terror. The arrows, the pestilence, the darkness, the stalking, the plague that destroys. So I read that, I see, yeah, Satan is at work. But it says, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make him the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. Those are powerful words for us as we navigate through life. Is all the experiences that come our way, all that we deal with on, a, on, on each and every day, to come back to a psalm like this to remind us about the power of God, to remind us of his protection when we stay close to him, when we dwell with him, that we are guarded, we are kept safe by him. The last verse has kind of always troubled me. It's made me always think. Verse 9, it says, If you make the Lord your refuge, you, 
you make him the most, the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near you. And I've thought about that. This is like, what does that mean? If, does it mean that if I'm a good Christian and I work hard for the Lord and I serve him and I do all those good things that I'm supposed to do that no harm will come to me? Like I won't get sick, I won't have injuries, I won't have illnesses. That's not what that means. Does it mean that if someone, a, a Christian, gets, let's say, cancer or whatever sickness, that, that God does not care for them anymore or that they are somehow in sin or they're getting punished for what they're doing? Does, is that what it means? Or is there something much deeper than that? Is there much, something much deeper that God is talking about here than just like kind of the, the physical, but something much more spiritual, much, something much more eternal. Back when I was a, a kid growing up, there was a legend. There was a church legend, and some of you will know him. So it's kind of been like 75 years since he's died, so some of you would be like, never heard of him, don't know the story. His name is Jim Elliott. Okay, ring a bell to some of you. Jim Elliott uh, went to Wheaton. He was a missionary. Uh, he and some of his friends went out to go uh, bring the gospel to uh, those who had never heard it in Ecuador, right? Uh, there were many tribes there that, that had never heard the gospel, and they had it on their heart to go take the gospel to them. And so they kind of were flying over their plane, just cutting, kind of uh, dropping some gifts to these tribesmen and kind of just waving and that kind of thing. And after some time, they thought, okay, now it's time for us to go meet them. And on December or January 8th, 1956, it was actually his three-year anniversary to his wife, Elizabeth. They, uh, they landed and they met these people that they had only seen from the airplane. They seemed friendly, but in the next uh, few minutes, all of their lives were taken. Uh, these warriors had killed them with a spear, and they were just left there uh, to die in the river. Uh, the story is fascinating in that years later, his wife and the wives of these ladies go back and, and bring the gospel to these people, and many uh, received Christ, and, and that's, it's a wonderful story. But Elizabeth wrote the biography for her, her husband, and you know what she called it? Here, the man who died by a, a spear by these enemies, she called the biography the shadow of the Almighty. The shadow of the Almighty. Like, why would she do that? Was that, like, was that a mistake, you know? That here, he died, he didn't, this happened, he following the Lord, but the arrow didn't miss him, it didn't go to his right or left, it hit him, and he died by the spear. Yet his life was protected in the shadow of the Almighty. So I think this is a little bit more than just, uh, just the sickness and flus and COVID and things like that. I think there's something very um, eternal here that he's talking about. There's some eternal significance about this psalm. And as we study it, I think it, it brings a couple questions. What does it mean to be protected by God? What does that mean? Uh, who are we protected from? Right? And then last, how do we dwell? in God's shadow. How do we dwell with him? And so I'm going to try to try to answer those. That'll be my outline for today as we move through this. And I'll spend probably most of my time there at the end. But the first thing, like what does it mean to be protected by God? 
God's protection does not mean that we'll never experience trouble. And we, I think we can probably figure that out. We, we know, uh, we have empirical, empirical evidence, right? We know people and all that where we've seen good people who have had uh, a lot of trouble. So it doesn't mean that we'll never have trouble, but here's what the psalm tells us. that It's that in the midst of the trouble, that we are not alone. We are not abandoned, but God is with us in the midst of that. Look at verse 15. This is God speaking to the person who dwells with him. And he says, he will call on me. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. All right. Serving God and following God is not, doesn't make us immune to trouble. It means that God is right there present. He's right there with us. He's close to us. He's walking through these moments with us. He's taking these moments and he's using, using them to bring about something beautiful in our lives. We look at uh, different people in the Bible. We could, we could spend the rest of the sermon just looking at different examples, but I'll give you a few. All right, one of them is Job, right, from the Old Testament, a man who was blessed by God, blessed by God in every which way. And that was kind of the, the thing that Satan was bugged by that, Satan saw that God was blessing him and that he was worshiping God. And he said to, to God, he says, here's the deal. He's only worshiping you because you have blessed him. But you take away that blessing. You, you put trouble in his life and he will turn from you so fast. But trouble comes into his life. Right, his family is taken away. His health is taken away. His fortune and his wealth and everything that he has is taken away. To the point where his wife is like, you should just curse God and die and just get, get out of this thing. But he doesn't do that. He's able to see because he's dwelt with God, because he's walked with God, saying that the troubles, it, it comes and goes. That's not what's going to determine my, my faith in God. He says some things like this. Here's, here's uh, just a couple of verses. He says in Job 1.21, he says, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Even in the midst of trouble, I praise the Lord. In verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Shall we accept the good from God and not trouble? The first sign of trouble, should we turn away on God? Then he says in chapter 13, he says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. He had this idea and this, this belief that even in the midst of trouble, that God was walking with him. He was not alone. He wasn't being punished. How about Joseph? Joseph from the end of Genesis, who was trafficked and kind of kidnapped. His family sold him down into Egypt. He was falsely accused. He wasted the best years of his life were in jail. But then the Lord was with him in the midst of it. And the, later on, much many years later, when he finally sees his brothers again, after his father had died, he told his brothers, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. He saw God working in the midst of the trouble that was around him, bringing about something good. Uh, we move on to the New Testament. How about Jesus? Jesus definitely dwelt with God. He knew God more than any of Job and Joseph and anybody else. He had that tight relationship, yet he had trouble. 
He had trouble in his life. The cross was great trouble, the death. Yet he knew God was in the midst. He was with him in that trouble. Stephen, the first person to die for their faith a couple years after that, uh, died for his faith. And as he was proclaiming his testimony, he looked up and he said, I see the Lord standing. Jesus is standing there on, on, at the, the right hand of God. That infuriated the crowd. They threw stones at him. And he said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Just like Christ had said, don't, let, don't keep this against them. And he says, bring me, Lord, into your presence. He saw God in the midst of that very real trouble. And Paul, Paul, who saw probably more trouble than all of them together, you look at his life and what he went through, all right, the abuse, the beatings. He's had so many uh, insults thrown at him, rocks and stones. So much that he went through. He had more trouble than any, probably all of us put together. Yet he writes in probably one of the greatest chapters in Scripture in Romans 8, that God is working all things together for good, for those who love him who are called into his purpose. And he says, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble or hardship are those things that can separate us? When we have trouble and hardship in our lives, does that mean that God has, has pulled his love from us, that he's abandoned us and left us? He says, no, not that, not anything else. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we will have trouble. And we tend to run from trouble like the plague. Like, oh, it's like COVID. Stay six feet away at least. I don't want to get near it. But yet God has this way of so many times using these hard trials, these hard moments, these troubling times to bring about faith, to bring about trust for those people who are able to sit and to dwell with the Lord. They'll see that, that feel to see that trouble. They'll not be thrown off and they'll see that God is right there in the midst with them in the trouble, in the storm, in the fiery furnace, in the, the lion's den, that he is there with us. Okay? So that's the first thing. What is, what is the second? Who, who are we being protected from? Like, who is the enemy here? Right? Who's the one that's trying to hurt us? As we probably look around our lives and we see trouble coming every which way. Right? From big... Uh, institutions to people to maybe your neighbors and maybe family or whatever. I mean, are those the ones who are trying to, uh, to hurt us that we need protection from? But I do think, again, that uh, I've said this so many times, that the flesh and blood, that is not our enemy. It's the spiritual forces that we fight against, right? And here in this passage, as we move through it, we see this, um, uh, we see the angels getting involved. We see the angels jumping in and being a part of that protection that God has given us and granted us. And so we say, who are the angels fighting? They're fighting the demons. They're fighting those spiritual forces that are around us. He says in verse 11, he says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will, they will lift up in their hands, lift you up in your hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. Before we get to uh, where we see that in the New Testament, I mean, think about that. Just sit with that passage. And God's saying, I'm going to be with you in the trouble. And I'm giving these angels to guard you, to watch over you, 
I'm a, I'm a little bit fearful to, to say, like, we all have guardian angels, right? Um, the reason for that is because most of my theology for guardian angels comes from cartoons when I was little. <laughs> you know, a little angel on your shoulder. So I don't, that's, I know that's probably not true, right? But I do think that because we don't see it, we just think it doesn't happen. But I, I do believe God has commanded his angels to take care of you, to watch over you, to surround you. The temptation is, is that we, we go through our day, we go to bed, we put our head in a pillow and just, just say like, well, I'm glad I made it through the day. You know, I'm, I'm glad I was alert and paying, atten- you know, paying attention while I was driving. I'm glad I have the little rearview mirror on my camera when I back up or the sensors that will stop my car if, I'm, if I get too close to somebody. I'm glad I have all those things. But in reality, it's not the cars. It's not all those things. I, I, I do firmly believe that, that God has, has put his angels here. They're watching over us. Just providing for us. We see this verse in the New Testament. In Matthew 4. If, you, if it sounds familiar, here's maybe why. Do you remember when Jesus is starting his ministry? Right? And he, before he kind of gets going, he, he goes out in the desert and he fasts for 40 days. And that's where Satan comes and he's like, all right, I'm going I'm to throw some temptations at you. And the second temptation was this. He took Jesus to the top of, this, of the, the temple. And basically he's saying this, he's like, you know, Jesus, you can go throughout your life, you know, all these years and walking around and teaching and they're not going to listen. Or you can like, here's the fast pass, you know, the fast track pass. You could take this, just jump off the temple because God's going to give his angels to you, right? He'll command his angels concerning you. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. He, Satan quotes from this chapter. Just saying, they'll guide you down. And then when people see you kind of floating down to the earth, that's when they'll believe. Like, save yourself all the trouble, all the miracles and all that. Let's just get right to it. Remember how Jesus responds to him. He says, do not test the Lord your God. Not test it. Like, what does that mean? He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's quoting from uh, Exodus 17. Okay, so there's a, a couple places in here where, G, where God says, don't test me. All right, if you remember the story in Exodus 17, he has brought the Israelites out of Egypt across the, you know, the Red Sea. They're in the desert. But now they're thirsty. Right? They're in the desert. Of course they're thirsty. They said, ah, oh, we're so thirsty. And it's because they were so thirsty that they were, they were willing to, to throw everything away. They're like, was there not enough water in, in Egypt to drown us? You had to bring us out here to dehydrate us so that we die? And that's where God says, don't test me. I think what he means is, I have been providing for you every single moment of every single day. There are, the desert is a dangerous place. I've got my angels watching over you in every single way. Don't you know that I'm going to provide water for you? I'll take care of you. I've got you. Don't test me. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
It's the Israelites are now, they're about ready to enter the promised land. They're going to enter into these turnkey homes that they didn't have to buy. They'd just been abandoned, and now they get to live in them, dwell in them. He says, you're going to have homes that you didn't buy, that you didn't build, that you're going to live in. You're going to have fields that you didn't have to plow, that you're going to enjoy the fruit from. You're going to have all these animals that you didn't have to buy and all that. They're, just, they're right there for you. And here's your temptation. You're going to walk in that and just say, life is good. Look, at, look what I've been able to accomplish for myself. Look what I've been able to do. He says, you're going you're to enter in there, and the temptation is you're going to forget me. You're going to forget what I did, but how I brought you through the desert, how my angels watched you and brought you in that promised land, how we protected you in every single way. I've always been watching over you. Don't think that I'm not caring for you right now. I think some of us, we feel like, oh, God's so far away. What is he doing? But God is there in the midst of our trouble. And he's keeping a lot of trouble back from us. A lot of trouble that we don't even know is around us that he's keeping those things away. So what are we being protected from? We're protected from Satan. It's funny how when Satan uh, quotes this verse, when he says, here, you know, angels will take care of him. He stops short of the very next verse. He says verse 12, but it doesn't say verse 13. Right? Verse 13 is this. It says, you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. What are the names for Satan? He's got a lot of names. But what are the animal names? A roaring lion. Right? The great ancient serpent. It's, it's, uh, I, I don't know this. This is just how my mind works. So just take it at that. But I can just imagine Jesus saying, oh, hey, and by the way, thanks for reminding me of Psalm 91 and how I'm going to trample on you. Right? I'm not listening to you. I'm not buying into your lies. Don't mess. Because I am under the shelter of the Most High. I've been protected by him. He's with me in the midst of the trouble. you got nothing to offer me. You can scare me. You can, you can throw your arrows at me. Right? You can try to bring terror in my life. But I'm walking with the Lord. I dwell with him. I'm not going to be thrown off by that. It's good stuff for us to know. That we are protected by God. That he is with us. He will stand with us. He protects us in every way, all day, every day, until he brings us home. But now with the third question. The last one. How, how do we dwell in God's shadow? Like, What's it mean to be the one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, rest in the shadow of the Almighty? Okay, that's good. Maybe you say, like, I'm convinced, that's great, I need to do that, but how do I do it? Like, what does that look like? What do I need to do, right? That's, that's the question I have. What do I need to do? Here's what you need to do. Nothing. Sit. Rest. Acknowledge. Trust. Dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty, it's an, it's an everyday experience. It's an everyday experience of someone who's thoroughly at home in the protection, the comfort, the safety of God, who, who knows the absolute power of God, who trusts them with their life. It's, it doesn't happen instantly. It's probably not going to happen by the time, you know, our students graduate from high school. You know, we have this idea that once they graduate, they're, they're, they should be an adult and they should know all of this stuff. But we're learning it still, right? 
This is, takes us a life, our, our whole lives of learning just how do we sit with him? How do we rest with him? How do we um, trust him? And I feel like this, this is why we need this psalm, right? Because what does the church do? The church, we make disciples. We make and equip disciples. We want people to become like Christ, right? To grow in our sanctification. And I don't know if we can really grow as a disciple if we don't know how to do this. If we don't know, just that at least start practicing this. To, to start practicing how you sit, how you dwell, how you learn, how you trust in the Lord. Here in this psalm, he gives a few probably five examples. He says in verse 2, you trust him. Just trusting in him. Verse 4, seek refuge in him. Right? Seeking refuge in him. Like uh, really coming to him and saying, Lord, you are the one that's going to protect me. Or you're the one that's going to give me the, show me, remind me who I am. Find value. He says in verse 14, be devoted to him. To be devoted, just say, Lord, you're my God. You're the one I'm devoting my life to. I mean, I have other responsibilities. All right, I have work and, and family and friends and all of this. I got to be responsible for so much. But I'm devoted to you. You're the one that I'm going to follow. You're my master. You're my Lord. I'm coming under you. Verse 14 says also to know his name. To know his name, know who he is, know the power that he has, know the love that he has, his compassion to understand and to learn who this God is that we're serving. If he's our Savior and Lord, we know his name, know who he is, know all about him. And then in verse 15, what's it look like to dwell with him? To call on him in distress, to call on him when we need help, when we're stuck, when we're lost, when we're confused. To call on him, to seek him. And sure, we can find we can find wisdom with others, right? Absolutely. But you see this idea of someone who dwells with God is someone who's seeking to learn how to trust him and, and refuge, find refuge, be devoted, to know him and his character, to call on him in distress. Remember verse two says. I will say the Lord, he's my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. In whom I trust. As I um, was thinking about this psalm, I uh, thought about this week. What was it like when Jesus read this psalm? What would it have been like for Jesus to read this psalm? Because I, I think this psalm is written about him. All right, for who else has dwelt with God? But Jesus, he lived with him in eternity. And as he came to earth, he's, uh, he's on earth, but he still knew what it was to dwell with the Lord. He went and prayed with him and read his scripture and sat with him. He showed us what that looked like. But he alone knew the dwelling of God. Who else could tread on the lion and the cobra, trample the young lion and the serpent? Who else would fit that category? 
So I was imagining as he's reading this and just seeing that God will, will protect him, will deliver him from the fowler's net, from the destructive plagues, that the, though the arrows are flying by him left and right, they will not hit him. He will be protected. Who else? But then it turns into this great, the psalm turns in verse 14, 15, and 16. And it's this, it's like now, you know, up till now it's been someone talking to him, but now the Lord talks. And it says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Will, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I think uh, Jesus got to read that and say, he's talking about me. My father is talking about me and my father loves me. He's going to rescue me. He's protecting me. He's going to be with me in trouble. He will deliver me. He will honor me. With long life, he will satisfy me and he will show me salvation. Meaning that when I go to the cross and when I die on that cross, it is not the end. That I'm coming back to life. That I'm going to see the salvation that God has given. And as he's letting that psalm just sink into him, as he's here on earth. And what I thought about is how we are in Christ. If we are in Christ, if we are disciples of him, all the beautiful things that God gives him, he gives us. We're hidden in him. Right? I mean, that's what this word, you dwell under the shelter, you're hid in him. The promises that he has are the promises that you have been given. And he's our protection. He's our shelter. And we see that so clearly as we look at salvation. When you look at salvation, we see Satan. He's throwing these arrows at you for all the sins you've done. Right? And just think about all the sins that you've done just recently. The, the habits the ones that have plagued your life that you've never really been able to kind of forget, Satan's been throwing those at you, but you see Jesus step in the way. He shelters you. He takes all those sins. He takes the guilt. He takes the shame. He takes the punishment for that. And you are safe. You are hidden. You are protected under his wings. I always think of that uh, that cry that Jesus made to Jerusalem in Matthew 23. He says, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets and you stone those who sent me. How I've longed to gather you, your children, together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. He said, I have longed to have put my shelter under you, but you didn't come to me. You stayed out there, and out there you're not protected. But if you are with Christ, you are protected. So when Satan tries to throw those things at you, he says, you can't be loved that much because remember what you've done? Remember who you are? You are under the shelter of God. Those, those arrows do not touch you. And instead, you hear God's voice saying, I love you. I died for you. I've redeemed you. You're my child of God. I'm bringing you home. I have eternity for you. I have long life. I have salvation. It's all there for you because you dwell under the shelter 
of Christ, you have my love. When you call on me, I hear you. When you need help, I'm there for you. And I've got you a long life. I've got, I've got better than what you can do in this life. I've gotten you eternal life and salvation. It's for you. Okay, there's, there's many things that we can trust in. But as followers of Christ, we, we trust. We trust in God. We trust in what Jesus has done for us. And we're protected by that. If you have never received Jesus, if you've never made that commitment, if you've never called on him and said, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to be under your protection. Today's the day. Today's the day. Come and run to him. Run under his shelter. Run under his protection. And he will protect you, not just for this life, but for eternity. Because he's the one that changes hearts. And my desire more than anything is to see people come to know him, to put their trust in him, to, to find salvation, to find eternal protection in him. We dwell with him. So how do we do that? You guys, there's so many challenges. We got, we got so many challenges. We, we are not a society that's very good at um, like reflection and meditation, and just sitting uh, with the Lord. And so we get robbed by it. We get robbed by it too many times. I mean, how many times have you said, like, okay, today, today I'm going to spend a, a good amount of time with the Lord, but life happens, right? You can fill in the blank. You know the appointments that are forgot, the kid you forgot to pick up, or the, the grandma you didn't text and all that, and you, all these different things that distract us. Um. This is one of them. This is a great little tool that provides so much, you know, blessing in our life. But it is also the thing that robs us of dwelling with the Lord. There's a, a book by Alan Noble called Disruptive Witness. He has a great insight. He says, The very technologies that we depend on in our lives contradict the very disciplines that God uses to dwell with him. Right? That we're constantly interrupted with this, with alerts. Notifications, news, alarms, and all that. And, you know, we, we got to figure out what's more important, dwelling here or connecting here, right? I mean, yeah, you can, there's Bible verses that flash up there. That's good. But friends, let us not be thrown off by the lesser and forget the greater. To dwell with the Lord means we spend our lives learning about him, learning how to trust him, learning how to follow him, seeing him in the midst of our trouble, and, and, and coming to him, calling on him, and hearing his voice. These are going to take time, but I, start now. If you haven't started already, start now. I don't care how young or how old you are. Let us be men and women who dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. Amen?